You're listening to the Art of Play podcast. This podcast is about play, not just childhood play, all play. I'm here showing how play is a foundation of not just being better adults, but better, well-rounded humans. Happy Friday! We are going to continue our series of interviews from creatives today. Um, we have a myriad of fields being represented, and uh, these people are those who have endeavored to make a living out of their outwardly creative tendencies or tendencies that they didn't know they wanted to expound on, but they're making a career out of it anyway. And they're coming to be interviewed about sharing their field or their struggle and their outlets, and most importantly, how they manage to be playful and creative, even when it may appear as though it's their full-time day job. So today we have Jay Kirk Richards, who is an artist known in the state of Utah for his pictures of Jesus Christ. And he's also lesser known for his body positivity and normalcy um, artwork. And you can, I'll link both of his Instagram profiles so you can go check out his work. He's a phenomenal artist and his work has been really fundamental in um, some, some changes in how I perceived um, religious artwork and things like that. So I thought he would be a great addition to this creative series because he endeavors to, um, to kind of keep that segment of his life productive, but still lighthearted. So we'll just jump right into the interview. Okay, Kurt, why don't you tell people who you are and what you do? Okay. My name is Kirk. Uh, I go, I go by my art name is, uh, I use my first initial, so J. Kirk Richards. I paint and sculpt. Um, a lot of my themes are kind of, I guess, poetically spiritual. Like I, I, do, I do scriptural ideas, but in a, I kind of like to focus on the, magic and the beauty of of scriptural phrases rather than you know maybe the maybe a specific event or yeah or the history uh, maybe uh, maybe some artists might try to do be, be more historical than i i do oh uh-huh um let's see what else i live about 90 minutes south of salt lake city in on a <clears throat> on a mountainside town called Woodland Hills. And when there's not a pandemic, I also spend part of the year in Massachusetts. Uh, I have a studio kind of central west, western Massachusetts. That's an old church, right? Yeah, it's an old Catholic church. Mm-hmm. And it, it was actually a Polish congregation. And then I also have a studio kind of in uh, a, a rural town uh, in Utah called Redmond, which, it, which is known for its salt. Ooh. Redmond Minerals. Oh, yeah, Redmond mines. Salt. I think it's like on the shelf at Harmon's. Yeah. Yeah. We And so my studio is, is their old salt packaging. Really? That's awesome. Building. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have four kids, four and a half cats, and a half cat. Well, he kind of hang, hangs out. Oh, he does. Like he's only he's at your house. Blind. Sometimes. 
And no, wait, I, we think that he's deaf and has one eye that works. Oh, semi-wild. And I think he's quite old. I mean, he just looks rugged. Really rugged. But you, you need all those mousers up there. You need that. Yeah, we, they do like to catch things and leave them on our porch. There's three different studios you work in. Do you do three different works in each? Well, um, kind of four because oh, we just started we're starting i'm starting a little school in provo oh that's there's a tiny great. room dedicated for you know that i i can work in yes so um different works in each studio um yes to some extent i think the work in massachusetts is work that is hopefully kind of informed by my visits into the city uh, you know like mm-hmm. we're 90 minutes from Boston and three hours from New York City. So I take advantage of the opportunity when I'm back there to go in and visit galleries and museums and stuff like that. So the work that I do, yeah, in Massachusetts is kind of informed by Eastern art museum and museum and gallery visits. Um, And then kind of... The work gets a little bit mixed together back here. Here in but, Utah, yeah. Yeah, just kind of depends on what's happening. You know, we had to evacuate our home for a while in Woodland Hills, and so a lot of that work I took down to my Redmond studio, and I was able to continue to work even through mountain fires. Mm-hmm. That was two years ago? Was that last summer? Um, it was last fall, yeah, or two falls ago. So it was yeah. almost two full uh, years almost ago. Almost two years, yep, yeah, in September. Yeah. Well, actually, there's quite a few paintings there as well. Anyway, I'm setting up an installation, an exhibit that I'm doing with a pseudonym, Joel Church, which is a lot of fi- uh, figurative work, it's work that's celebrating the human figure. And, um, yeah, so there's paintings and sculptures down there. I don't know when that will be ready to view, but maybe in like three years or something. I know, because it's, like, it it's a massive installation. Like the work you're taking on is, that's a massive undertaking. It's a big project for me, and it's also one that I'm not getting paid for in the short term. So I'm just kind of having to take my time and gradually take it make in progress. Yeah, yeah. Well, that one's fascinating to me. I always think that I love seeing your updates on the Joel Church because you um, you also do your Friday night sketches, Thursday night sketches. Oh, um, the, the lives you doing, sketch uh, on. Thursday. Yeah, I uh, live every once in a while. I'll do a live figure drawing feed, or you know, we'll talk yeah. about anatomy or uh, techniques, ways to think about drawing the figure. And I just got fiber to my house, so sweet. So maybe it'll actually <laughs> the stream will actually be <laughs> continuous instead of super choppy. So yeah. So during COVID, um, Kirk put out he was he had a a live model that was off camera posing for figure drawing, and so he would have the model switch positions, and then he would show like the gesture, like how the form would move, and how you know. Um, just sort of like the movement of the pose and the muscles and um, 
it, it was really fascinating to watch the process of that happening, especially for somebody like me who's, I'm interested in art, but I've never taken a formal figure drawing class. So to watch that, it was, I find it super fascinating. And I think artists on social media, they're all offering um, sort of unique snippets into their their process and how their work comes together. So I think it's a really great thing to tap into when you want to be sparked by somebody else's creativity because you, the artists like you and that you know, showcasing what you do is incentive to kind of go and experiment or be a part of, you know, the creation process like that. So I think it's super fascinating what you do. So that's, that's what Kirk's talking about right now is, well, that I made Kirk talk about <laughs> is the live figure drawing because you were doing it kind of yeah. weekly and and uh, it was just super fascinating because you would have all different models, all different sort of setups. Well, thanks. Yeah, we'll need to get back into that. Did you start out as a painter or a sculptor? I definitely have had more training with painting. So, yeah. you know, a lot of... Oh, well, you know, I had a sculpture class when I was in high school. My high school teacher actually brought in a sculptor that taught us just like a one day figure drawing workshop. We got out of our other classes for the day and just spent that day. And we had a model that came and wore a leotard and, and that was, uh, super fun. But, um, my teacher says it's probably like harder to get something like that approved no, yeah. today than it was back then. So, but, but yeah, so I, I did study a little bit in high school, but mostly drawing and painting. Mm -hmm. And then even through college, mostly drawing and painting. Most colleges have you do a bunch of core classes that have you experiment in different media, including sculpture. Okay. So I did that in college, but didn't really, um, I guess, I, I guess I've done sculpture in, in fits and spurts, but I've constantly been painting. Okay. So it's like your constant art of choice and then the sculpture is interspersed in all of that. Well, I'm not saying I'm not going to choose to be a sculptor <laughs> in the future, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and, um. So you started out in high school then. Did you know you liked art in high school? Yeah, I loved art. I mean, I when I look back and, and I, I just think one of my favorite things when I was just like a kid was just going in the backyard and pushing dirt around, you know, and mm -hmm. sticks and making, you know, just making like something. playing with stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so even through elementary school, I loved art. I illustrated some books for for writing projects, uh, my own and some of my siblings' writing projects. Oh, nice. And then in junior high school, I remember it, I illustrated a book for an English project, English class, and my mom said that this was when she first thought, well, maybe there's some you know so there's something to what Kirk's doing maybe it's not just oh. a kid drawing nice <laughs> how nice of her <laughs> yeah. well and to see the vision yeah. with a junior high student actually that's probably pretty complimentary because sometimes in junior high you think 
well, hopefully they find something to do with their <laughs> lives, you know? So, so maybe that's a good thing. So, yeah, you know, I grew up in a musical family. That, that was the thing at our house was you learn an instrument or two, usually the piano and a second instrument. Mine was the French horn. And about the time I was 13, 14, I, I watched Dead Poet Society. That's a great like, movie. Um, you cannot make me be a musician, mom and dad, please. You know, I, <laughs> you tra- found your voice. Dramatically, tra- <laughs> I was like, yes, I cannot sit through all of these rehearsals for the rest of my life. I'm a, and uh, <clears throat> I just said, you know, I, I, I'd really like to take art lessons instead of music lessons. Mm-hmm. And my parents uh, didn't want me to quit music on a whim, so they said, you know, you keep yeah, going for a yeah. year, and if you feel the same way in a year, then, you know, we'll find you an art teacher. And so a year later, um, they made good on their promise to find me an art teacher, and I started awesome. taking lessons. Yeah. And so, yeah, I loved that, took art through both at school and with a private teacher through my high school years. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> as a freshman in, in college, I took a figure drawing class as an elective with the intent of um, majoring in something more practical, maybe science or something. But mm-hmm. just I just, you know, fell in love with drawing the figure in this class and at that moment pretty much committed to pursuing that major, an art major, and an, a, a career in art. Wow. So all the way through high school, it was something you really loved, but wasn't something you were intending to make your profession. I think that's true. I, I, <laughs> I don't know if maybe I uh, ever intended to do that during those years, but I know that I didn't really commit, commit until... Until college. I was a freshman in college. Yeah. Yep. Which, you know, whatever. Like, honestly, people commit way later than that. So yeah. I think that's... So that's when you shifted, though, and started taking... Like, shifted to a major in art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then you went the rest of college. And then... So then what happened after college? Well, I actually dropped out of college for a little bit. I was yeah. like, oh, this is... Uh, this is like too conceptual, too theoretically based. I need some Freedom. traditional skills. Uh-huh. And I'm not, I didn't feel like I was getting them there. And <clears throat> I dropped out, checked the box that said I'm never coming back. And uh, got on a, well, I floundered for a while. Then I ended up getting on a Greyhound bus to New Jersey and having a, an apprenticeship with an artist named Patrick Devonis in New Jersey for a little bit. And he convinced me to finish up my degree. So then I came back and, <laughs> and asked to get back in, even though I checked the wrong box and they were nice. Right? <laughs> and they let you back in. <laughs> they let me back in. I got a, uh, I ended up just I getting a BA, Bachelor of Arts degree from, from BYU. And, um, 
and it was great because I felt like having studied with Patrick, I had a little bit more of those kind of traditional foundational skills. Mm-hmm. And, and then I could think about like the contemporary conceptual stuff that they were trying to teach to me te- in, yeah. at the university. Yeah. So do you think it also gave you maybe a practical sense of what it actually took to be an artist? Studying with him? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And another thing that I did, even as I was intent on dropping out of school, Mm -hmm. I I went around and visited maybe maybe like seven or eight different artists in their studio. just talked to them about, you know, their... um, just talk to them about their path and what they did to to get where they were living to get where they were. And I think that that helped, um, it helped also to see that because a lot of times when you're in school, um, in fact, when I was at BYU, there was almost like a little bit of a anti feeling towards making a living as a studio artist. Well, I think that the, that school, particularly university fine art programs are often directed towards an, an audience of other university fine, like they're trying to prepare you to Uh. get an MFA at Yale or, yeah, they're you know, laying groundwork for something like which that. Which is a different language that, that you learn than maybe I want to make create art, uh, paintings and sculptures that people in Utah Valley are going to buy. <laughs> yes. It's, it's a different language. It's a different, right? yeah. It's a different type. So that that's the distinction I'd probably make. Okay, so you took a little break, went back to school. That was good. And then... Kirk is launched on the world, and what do you do? Yeah, Amy and I got married like a semester and a half before I finished. Mm-hmm. I sold a piece to my brother-in-law and sister. It was a huge piece for me. Okay. Like I thought, this is the big, you know, this more money than anybody's ever, ever made. <laughs> like $7,000, which is a nice, you it's know, a nice, a nice sum, sum yes. for somebody that's just graduating from an art with an art degree. Um, I took on a job illustrating a book for a self-published author, Kenny Kemp. Okay. And um, so that, that year after I graduated was spent largely working on his as well as developing my own work. I realized quickly that I was more excited about my own work than working, working as an else. illustrator for somebody else and that I could probably earn at least as much, if not more, creating my own visions. Mm-hmm. And so I began showing uh, the first art show that I did, what I just set up in my parents' house. Sweet. Uh, you know, filled their walls with, with your my paintings. dozen paintings or whatever I had at the time. <laughs> yeah. And passed flyers around to my neighbors to say, come, come to my art show. <laughs> it was very lemonade standy, but, um, but everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. And those are the people that care the most about what you're doing, right. you know, at the, at the beginning. And so we have continued to do that from, 
from way back, you know, 20 years ago, even today we do like an annual studio tour where we just fill up the house with artwork. And we'd had, we've had several years where the results seemed minimal in terms of sales. Um, but now it's, you know, a lot of people come every year and yeah. a lot of, a lot of people purchase things. A lot of people come to not purchase. I mean, we are, we're just glad to have people come and see the artwork that I've been working, <clears throat> that I've been working on. No, well, so. and I think you're really open about it. You, you really do take an open approach of, you know, see what I'm working on. Well, and maybe it's just your presence on social media seems like that, but you, um, you like to show the process. And I think all of us have fascinations with the creators of the, those that have chosen to be a creator in their occupation. It's fascinating to the rest of us. So finding out how that actually works, how that, you know, going through a studio and seeing the art or seeing the different types of pieces you've made in one sort of setting like that, I find it fascinating. And I think a lot of people, that's why you're drawn to either small galleries or a gallery showing just one or two artists because you can actually see maybe their thought process unfold. It kind of makes it relatable. And I think art is an emotional sort of, you need an emotional tie to a piece. So it helps us, you know, relate to that artwork better. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So we, I just started making my own artwork. I kind of would take on a a certain percentage of my work would be commissions, like a small percentage. Mm -hmm. I'd try to kind of gradually finish those commissions while also finishing a lot of my own work Yeah. so that I could, um, continue to earn a meager living, but also grow as an artist as yeah, as an artist in my own voice. And we were living the first couple of years in the basement apartment, actually uh, in the house that I grew up in, we were buying it from my parents and we rented out the upstairs to a family while we lived in the basement. Mm -hmm. After a couple of years, we had, we had our first baby Megan and, um, realized it was getting pretty tight quarters and I also felt like people were kind of dismissing me as an artist because I was doing religious themes along the Wasatch front and they were just like that's anybody could do that right uh yes (laughs) (laughs) uh yes the pioneer spirit of killing everybody's drive to create so I, um, so we decided that we were going to go spend some time in Tennessee, which is where Amy's from. Okay. We loaded up a, a moving truck with our stuff. And like the night, the maybe the day before we were pulling out to, to go to Tennessee, the September 11th happened and the, we oh. saw the towers fall. And... So we headed out to Tennessee. I didn't have any connections to speak of. Um, I rented out a studio space for, I think the rent was like $175. I had this kind of cubicle type room in this mm-hmm. really mildewy kind of, <laughs> you know, like musty old 
brick building that was a sock factory in downtown Nashville, which is <clears throat> now it's an upscale restaurant. Well, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But back then, you know, it was, it was rough. Um, and I just painted for, I don't know, maybe like eight months, and we just lived off of our our savings. And then at the end of those eight months, we had Amy's parents had friends who were builders, and they who are builders, and they uh, were generous to host an art show in one of their you know new condo, yeah, like downtown a sh- condo like a show condo. home or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we did. Uh, we set up an art show and um, invited everybody that we could think of, including Nashville galleries and stuff. Yeah. And we had a great turnout, but you know, no sales. So I started panicking a little bit. There was a new gallery that was being opened in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. And they, um, so I invited that gallery owner to come see it. She loved it. We moved the artwork to her gallery, had an opening there. Mm-hmm. Still s- several weeks went by with uh, without sales and I, I was still panicking. And then finally, you know, probably maybe 10 months into our Nashville experience, somebody bought a good sized painting and we started breathing a yeah. little bit again. That was probably the lowest point in terms of our bank account and earnings. Um, we lived for in Tennessee for a couple of years and then moved back to our home in Provo. This time we moved upstairs. Mm, good. So yeah. that was, I remember going grocery shopping after we moved back and just thinking, oh my goodness, this is how am I... How on earth am I going to be able to afford living here? Groceries <laughs> and, you know, the mortgage payment on our house. We rented out the basement to to um, college students. And, um, and then we just start, started working hard, you know. Yeah, just moving. Now, I, I have to admit that I was... I had lots of hobbies, like a lot of creative people do. Mm-hmm. I was working on music projects and music videos and stuff, and so my output wasn't. And, and you know, when you're learning to paint and finding your own voice, it just takes a while to. You, you gotta like go through all the iterations of what you are thinking. Yeah, and you have to take lots of breaks and look at a lot of art and just kind of process and <clears throat> feel your way through the the process of creating something from beginning to end. And so I was making maybe 20 paintings a year or something. Yeah. I resisted making small work because I just felt like, how can I say anything in this tiny format? Yeah. But then, you know, maybe seven, eight years into our career, the Great Recession hit. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Man, I don't know if I, this is too much of an economic focus. You know, I think it's great. Okay. I think like, well, because it's a process, yeah. right? And it's not just like meteoric rises for everyone. It's not a, it's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. People ask about like, what was your big break or whatever? And 
I think that there's more so lots of little breaks. Than right, you just like, hopefully your trajectory is just steadily upward yeah. instead of a... Well, I can tell you ours has not been steadily upward, but it has been <laughs> jaggedly upward. So. Hey, as long as it's <laughs> up overall. So yeah, so Great Recession hits, a lot of artists stop painting just because the sales, you know, fall. But um, one of the, but I, what I ended up doing to, in, in fact, we we toyed with the idea of going back to school, getting a master's, and trying to teach. Yeah. But my heart was never really in it. Well, yeah. So at least you knew that before you made the commitment to go back to school. Well, I applied. I I basically I kind of sabotaged myself. I I was like. <laughs> I will apply to like the four best programs or five. And um, so if I can get into those, then, you know. Then I'll do it. Then I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And I did, <laughs> I did not get in. And I hadn't been preparing, you know, like I hadn't, my trajectory was never aimed in that direction. And so um, I just didn't, I wasn't in the right place yeah. to, to be accepted into those programs. Anyway, so I set kind of set aside my hobbies and decided I'm just I'm gonna focus, focus, focus on creating more work. I started doing s small work in addition to the larger pieces mm -hmm. that people could afford. And um, so yeah, my my uh, and then I also started hiring help. Actually, my first studio assistant was my. They were renting our apartment. She was an oh, art major, yeah. and we just decided, well, let, well, let's try instead of charging rent, you know, we'll just like we'll you have just our earn work. it, yeah, yeah. So that really helped increase my output from like twenty paintings a year to hundred paintings a year, and because that, an artist's assistant does like preps the painting or preps what you're going to be painting on, or yeah, all of those. Just all, all of anything the, like, that you can possibly think of to delegate, and it's taken me many years to kind of figure out what I can and can't delegate. Um, and it's a lot of times it depends on the assistant and their, you know, their strengths. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, but yeah, so that combination of having an assistant doing more small works and focusing, you know, setting aside my other hobbies. Mm -hmm. Uh, helped increase the output. And then, you know, things have grown fairly steadily. Since then? If a little jaggedly since then. Well, since the recession. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And by that time, you know, seven years into it, I had been, uh, I had established enough of a, an audience base. Mm-hmm. That, that people are looking out for you or e even just like s can spot your work or will actually show up to a gallery showing or exactly yeah i mean it just takes time to get the wheels of the machine turning yeah and um so seven years in i think the wheels were had some momentum and and that increase in production was able to to catch on. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the art um, community in Utah since the recession has kind of 
not really expanded, maybe just broadened a lot. Yeah. And so there's more people sort of perpetually feeding to each other, right? It seems like a very supportive community, right? Where they can like refer to each other, but also have their own voice, their own space, and it's, I don't, I don't know if that's a social media thing. I don't know if that's just, oh yeah. So I didn't network. even talk about social media, but that has made a huge difference. I mean, that puts, that has put the power in the hands of the artists like, like never yeah. before, you know, you used to be largely reliant on galleries and, um, you know, in the early days, websites were kind of relatively new for mm-hmm. for artists and i remember at one point thinking darn it my 14 year old brother could figure out how to program a website why can't i figure this okay. out yeah. so i i checked out an html for dummies book and just started playing around with a web page that's awesome yeah i mean just you gotta like just bootstrap it you have to like get yeah. it get it somehow yeah, and it, it was really cool le- just learning like, oh, if I type this in, the page the turns page. blue. <laughs> and if I, you know, if I, this is how you turn an image into a link to another page. So, so I built built a website, um, and then you know, Facebook came along, and then Instagram, mm-hmm. and Instagram has just been well because it's so it's so visual. Yeah. So I feel like it's a true artist's. Well, and I'm a visual learner, so I prefer seeing a picture of something and then I'll read text where my husband is much more, he would rather read about it and then maybe see a picture of it later. Yeah. So it's just like a two, you know, I think artists are more conducive to Instagram given that you can immediately show what, you know, you're about or a style or. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So social media totally kind of changed things as far as notoriety and getting the word out and showing the process. Yeah. There have been stages all along the way where I, I knew or had a feeling that we could do things in a new way based on where we were at. For example, I remember, I remember coming to the conclusion that if I or reaching the point where if I sent an email to my email list, it would result in in a, in a sale large sale probably. Yeah, and that was a beautiful moment. Um, and then I remember well the fu- the fire that kind of that scared you down to your yeah forced us out of our home and forced us to change our plans. We were unable to host to hold a our annual studio tour that year mm-hmm. that um that forced me to explore the possibility of doing a daily painting on instagram and just selling oh, it I to whoever claimed remember it that. and i thought to myself if i can do you know i have ten ten thousand followers if i if i can get like one percent of these people to purchase a thousand-ish dollar painting every day for the last hundred days of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's probably not 
unreasonable to uh, to expect that I could get 1% of my followers to do that. Right. And I never reached 100 paintings just because uh, was, it was too hard. But so end of yeah, the year. almost every piece was immediately claimed and sometimes it became a little bit of a feeding frenzy to... You know, to get them to, with it, yeah, to get somebody as satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> to get, uh, for people to get the piece in time, because, you know, I wasn't posting at a specific time. And anyway, was my, my point there is, you know, people start, people who are maybe art students today with 50 to 100 followers on Instagram may not be able to jump in and do like, a painting every day, right? And sell, you know, well, and then even it. expect one percent of their followers to buy the paintings, yeah. even right. So, yeah. so just it's just like the the work and those wheels as they keep turning, they open up new possibilities. The farther along you go, and a lot of it is a function of patience and time. You know, hard work, persistent effort. Um, and probably now looking back, like experience will tell you if I just keep at the things that I know sell or the things that I know, you know, reflect me, you know, that actually is worthwhile to keep, keep doing those things and that will pay off in the end. Yeah. Yeah. But so going back to that, were there ever times where you thought this isn't what I want to do? I don't want to. Maybe I should think about doing something else or I should, you know, jump ship. Or was this like literally that class freshman year of college, you were sold? Um, I was, yeah, I would say the latter. Like I, I never, I've never legitimately had in my brain another possibility. <laughs> 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 I think uh, that might be frustrating, you know, for the spouse of an artist. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I think one of the reasons I applied for the MFA was for Amy's sake. Knowing that there was something that could happen. Or yeah, but um, but I've, I've just always felt like this was my path. I mean, I there have been moments when I've, panicked for sure and thought what am I doing um, and there have been other moments when I thought is this you know even within the artistic realm is this the right path that I'm on mm -hmm. do I feel like I uh, I can um, you know like e even if for example Maybe I shouldn't go far, too far down this road, but like if 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 there were, as a person of faith, are there policies or whatever that are hard for me to agree with in my faith that make it so that it, do is it do I have integrity to continue making these images if there are things that are that I don't agree with policy wise or mm -hmm. um, you know. So those kinds of issues uh, or ideas about am I on the right path that way and um, and how do I maintain my integrity as an artist? Yeah. Um, d 
doing certain thing, you know, doing the subject matter that I'm doing in the community that I'm doing it. Um, when sometimes I f don't feel like I completely fit into the demands of the community. Um, and, but I, you know, I, what do I want to say about that? Just that those are, I think, legitimate struggles and, um, and it's definitely things that are worth considering. I've, I've come out the other end with more, uh, I think, a stronger sense of what spirituality belongs to me, not to uh, exterior influences. Yeah, what's not decided by the culture or yeah. influences outside of just you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think that being that you're, well, that you started with faith-based paintings and then progressing to something else, how has that transition happened? Like feeling like you needed to do more figural things that maybe really rub against the grain of what people expect from religious paintings coming out of Utah. Yeah. Well, I, a couple things there. I was... That whole time, you know, I, th I learned art through studying the figure. Mm -hmm. So all of those, all of the religious or uh, spiritually themed pieces that I do, I'm able to do because of... Your understanding that. of the figure. Exactly. Yeah. And I, w I think that's the case for a lot of artists who do the figure in religious context. So a lot of artists, for example, that war have painted figurative pieces for the temple have studied the figure, you know, yeah. like, uh, Carl Bloch, there's a lovely picture of, uh, a black and white photo of him in his studio with a model there. Um, and it just goes, shows his process. Um, also, Minerva Tykert went and studied the figure, you know, b back east. Because, um, I mean, it's foundational. It, yeah, it is foundational. So, but also it's hard to, it can be hard to uh, celebrate that education by exhibiting figural work. Yes. Well... In your given, it, where you live, yeah, with your audience, maybe we'll say it that way. So, so I've been looking for a long time to, to, for a way that I felt good about um, showing that work, mm -hmm. and I try. I've toyed with different pseudonyms or different ways to brand it. And I've eventually settled on a pseudonym, Joel Church, which is actually, my first name is Joel, J. Kirk Richards, the J stands for Joel, and Kirk means church. So I felt like it was still like me, it wasn't mm -hmm. me trying to be somebody else, but also allowed me just to show that work without surprising or catching off guard the people who, who have been coming to 
my Instagram to see Jesus, right? Like, yes. A lot of people come to see Jesus to, to explore ideas surrounding like heavenly beings and things like that and are just not. They're not in the culturally yeah. ready or prepared to, ha- to stumble onto a nude figure, for example. Right. So yeah. this was a way for me to separate those, but feel like I'm still being myself and still able to um, continue to develop ideas about studying the figure as an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I find it interesting that you were talking about the figure being a foundation of most religious paintings containing a person and how in the religion, the dominant religion, it is believed that the entire purpose of being on earth is in fact to gain that body. And that is a foundation of why we're here. So I find it interesting that there's those parallels in your religious work. That's the, the figure is foundational on multiple levels that it's, it's foundational, not just for creating a, you know, a, painting that looks like a person a you know proportionate being yeah but also creating art that's celebrating all of the differences and the many forms of that human form yeah absolutely yeah it's a good a good point it's not just like it's not just the technical part of art that interests me in terms of the figure, but it's also the figure also enters into the conceptual and even uh, theological elements of of my artwork. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, I think it's a really key tie between your two bodies of work that yes, there's, you know, you are sensitive to the audience participating with you in you know, enjoying that art. So you're sensitive to need that divide, but to be able to have both is essential to the work being done. So, yeah, I think that's really great. Thank you. And I am fascinated by it no matter (laughs) what. So I just love the art side and seeing the different mediums that you use, seeing the different ways you approach it, seeing that the way you explain it as well, your training in being trained to see the figure and see muscle development and things like that. Like I think you even recommended a few books that I went and purchased because I'm fascinated with just how realistic you can make something look by shading here. And then like, it has to be this muscle has to show or this, you know, structurally your hips have to line up a certain way or your stance looks off or it's not proportionate some of those explanations just allows you to see more of that proportionate beauty, I think, in the world in general. So I've been following along just like with Sounds rapt like attention. We need, we need to get you in a figure drawing class. Probably. Probably. <laughs> Sarah probably just needs to do a figure drawing class. Um, okay. So after coming through all of that and, you know, kind of establishing that this is what you want to do, how do you help others? sort of start that journey. I realize you have, you know, assistants in your studio that are probably in school, you know, doing art school for themselves. You have a school for yourself that you, well, that you are 
starting to teach other people how to, you know, see the art they want to create. And how, how do you, like, what's your vision for bringing people along in, in kind of helping them along in their own journey? Yeah. Um, I think first of all, they, it helps to have somebody that believes in you or is interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember just f- feeling that one of my professors was interested in what I was doing and that made such a difference. Like it just, um, <clears throat> yeah. I th- so I think that's the first thing is, is expressing encouragement. Mm-hmm. The second thing is providing opportunities to grow. People need to be able to study, to, to push themselves technically, um, conceptually, and develop their art. I think, yeah, I keep hearing comedians talk about um, people who are who feel like getting a new headshot is the answer to their comic career uh-huh. when really it's the it's the, <clears throat> the material the right material needs and so the art yeah. artists just need in many cases to put more time in more thought and to push stretch themselves they need more training um and so yeah i'm starting a little school i used to teach two work weeks of workshops every summer but uh this is kind of transition <laughs> no it's not this is transition into an ongoing sc- school program which i'm excited about the possibility of having rather than just like giving people some information for a week and then dropping them mm-hmm. on the pavement for the rest of the year right yeah um th- i'm i'm excited to try to put them through uh, an ongoing program that continue, you know, has steps of uh, developmental steps that they can follow. Uh, another thing that we are doing is running a nonprofit organization that offers scholarships and grants um, to artists in my faith community, and hopefully gives them an opportunity to further their study and or kind of bridge into a career. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what else is there? So, I, I also think that, the, that there is opportunity to collaborate with artists. For example, I... Did I did my daily paintings at the end of the year again last year, but I did it together with another artist, uh, Melissa Camba Boggs, and it was an honor to to do that with her and just see the success that she experienced through those daily paintings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometimes when I'm doing an art show, I'll bring bring some artists in to. To, to like be her. like the second or third artists in the gallery, in the gallery show. Yeah, and, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> now, younger artists or like established? Well, I, 
typically, I don't, I don't know if there's a typical example, but uh, it's for me, it's an opportunity to bring somebody that's less established in their career mm-hmm. in and um, hopefully give them, you know, we'll make, give them a get boost those, of some sort. Just put confidence. a little bit more uh, momentum again behind the wheels of their own careers. Yeah. Turning. Um, that might be it. I don't know if I. Well, I think that's a lot. <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean, you're opening a school, so I feel like that. That's, oh, you know, yeah. Associated with that school, we're also starting a gallery, a for-profit gallery. Actually, what I want to do <laughs> is just this. <laughs> we've only dreams. got this tiny room dedicated to the gallery, but I think maybe if we can get our feet under ourselves. Um, it'll alternate between a for-profit gallery and like a museum every other month. Oh, interesting. So the gallery will sell paintings, you know, on the odd months. And then on the even months, we'll have just like an educational show or whatever. What? This is a great idea. Well, because then it allows them to experience a show in a gallery that's having, you know, patrons that would come you know, every month because there's something new, but they're also coming for, you know, the artists that maybe are choosing to be in the show versus somebody who's trying to feel their way through what's actually, like, what of all of my ideas actually are being, you know, acceptable to sell to other people. It's I think that's a great... Yeah, so we're trying to figure out a, a good model for, a, like, a for-profit <laughs> museum, uh-huh, a yeah. tiny museum. We thought maybe... Uh, we're still exploring ideas, but we, we thought That's maybe great. like a subscription box, you know, Ooh. like if you become if you a subscribe. member of the museum, then you'll get like a box of goodies that is associated with, you know, like maybe this art activity or something associated with the show. Yes. Yeah. Um Anyway, we're still brainstorming that. I think That's great. I think it's awesome. Be- well, because it also allows people to say, um, they can participate without having to shell out for a larger painting or, right. They can participate in the art community without needing to, um, maybe put themselves into a financial position where they, you know, can't actually pay for something like that. I don't know. That's a great, I think that's awesome. But I think that the art world also is allowing that creativity to blossom in different ways like that there, you know, there's different approaches and, um, accessibility to art is something, right? We talked earlier before we started recording about being inundated with so much information. And I think that goes the same way with artists. Like there's an inundation of art feeds and people that are putting themselves out there and having some sort of subscription or something allows you to still give back and participate because it is an in-person experience. I have a hard time seeing something online and connecting the way you do in a gallery. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that that just draws a line of connection to, you know, the patrons, to the artists, Yeah, which I think is awesome. Yeah. I, um, I think there's a lot of potential. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's safe to say. Um, okay. One last thing. If you had any one message that everybody who heard it would take to heart, 
what would that be? Um, I just... Don't take all the time you need. Thinking. I mean, the main thing that comes immediately to my mind is that there is value in your thoughts and creativity. Like, there's value. A lot of people get frustrated they're, because they're not maybe making the headway that they want to with with their creative endeavors, whatever those might be. But I just think that there is value in whatever you're doing, whatever your, your thing is. <clears throat> you have value as a person. And... Um, You know, here in in the Mountain West, we talk about Zion a lot and creating Zion, and which is a, a sort of utopian idea. And I think that we each have value. I kind of like to argue for a more inclusive idea of of Zion. Mm-hmm. Because I believe in the value of people and their ideas and their talents, whatever they are. So that's what I would. I think that's want great. Everybody to like know. value their own contribution. Like it's yeah, it has its own value. You don't need to justify it to anybody. I like yeah. that. I think that's great. Okay. Well, thank you for coming. Thank yeah. you for making the drive and oh, doing the whole thing. So everybody check out Kirk's Instagram. I'll include the handles in the show notes. Thank you. Okay. I want to thank Kirk for coming up. Um, with COVID, it's a little bit interesting to, to interview people because it's really hard to read expressions through um, interviewing online and... Um, it's, it's actually really nice to be able to meet with people face-to-face. And so I, I'm really grateful that he came up and shared his experience as an artist and how, you know, his creative path, he's he's known what he wanted to do. And so he didn't deviate. He didn't have to be coached through it saying, you know, somebody saying, hey, you know, I really believe in you. You should do this for a living. You know, he had to stand his ground from an early, early point. And... I appreciate his um, his views, and I also want to point you in the direction of his Instagrams. I will include them in the show notes. They are they're phenomenal, process oriented from a business perspective, from a you know developing your own talent perspective, as well as just encouraging people to sort of find their own find their own voice in in how they choose to create. And I think uh, Kirk is a really good proponent. So I have a few things that I just took away from that episode. Uh, So the first one is like passions may come early and may stick around or they may come later or even they might be fleeting. And there is no wrong way to acknowledge those passions, you know, saying I was into this or I am into this or I always wanted to get into this. There's not really a wrong way to do it. Um, but there is value in saying, I, I loved this, I love this, or I want to love this. 
Okay, number two, get help. So find a mentor, find somebody to help, or literally find somebody who knows more than you to teach you, or find somebody who's looking at what you are doing, saying, I want to do that, and have them help you. Number um, number three, help the people coming after you. So the people that are trying to build or trying to you know, establish themselves, give them some help. Find, find a way to support and lift and, um, and bring along the next generation, whether that's, you know, the people that are younger than you in your field of work, whether that's children in your life, you know, nieces, nephews, children, or whether that's, you know, saying, hey, like our neighborhood, you know, our community should be supportive of those that come after us. Let's make sure we're taking care of, of the beauty around us, those sorts of things. Um, and then finally, there is value in whatever you love and your, you have value and what you contribute because you contributed it gives itself value. So your contribution has value because you matter. And I really appreciated uh, Kirk's words at the end there and, uh, and just, you know, giving the encouragement of you matter and what you value uh, also matters. And that's, and that's really good. The world needs us to speak to our passions and, and say, I'm willing to stand by this and contribute. So that's, that's great. Go give Kurt some love on his uh, Instagram pages. And if you're not an art junkie like me, I realized that I was probably fangirling a little bit hard there <laughs> with, with talking about um, following along with the art. Uh, but but that is one of the things that I've always found truly fascinating, and it's it was a pleasure to interview Kirk. Thanks for listening today. This podcast is fueled by my family's mission at the Oliver Fund. We send playthings to children in hardship all over the world because we believe that to have the ability to work hard, there's value in playing well. You can find out more online at theoliverfund.org or on social media at the Oliver Fund and at Art of Play Podcast. If you love this episode, please will you do me a favor and go to Apple Podcasts and write a review or even share with a friend you think would love it. The more the word gets out, the more we are able to share our playful message with others. Here's to leaving you to your weekend a little more hopeful and hopefully more happily playful if only for five minutes.